Good morning. You guys are looking good. Well, uh, I decided that, uh, you know, it was important. With my old church, uh, you could always tell the person that was speaking because they had a tie on. And so I thought it was appropriate, especially this morning, uh, to uh, dress appropriately. And in most of you for a new community are dressed appropriately. KG's dressed appropriately. In fact, he's got shoes on. Where are the flip-flops? I, I don't get it. He's dressing up, okay? Did, how many of you take a look at the communion spread here? Isn't that awesome? This is communion on steroids. This is Rob Fairbanks. He wanted to up the ante here. And so we're going to have time. We're going to reserve like two hours. Uh, I don't know if he has extras. Hopefully some of you ate before you came, but if you didn't, you're fine. So we're going to be doing that a little bit later. A um, couple things. Uh, my name is Kelly. I'm a, a teacher. I used to be a coach. I coached track for years. A lot of people know me from that. I, I'm not coaching this year, which has been a, um, quite a change for me. And I have um, had an opportunity once in a while to, to speak, to speak churches and youth groups and things at different points. Um, God has oriented me somehow that I, I love doing that. There's actually, my wife could attest to this, uh, there's hardly anything in the world, hardly anything in the universe that I enjoy more. I don't know why. I don't really get it. Um, I, I've told people before, I'm horrible at, at, as a coach. I was horrible at pep talks. I felt like I was a guy reading a bad script in a bad sports movie trying to give a pep talk. It just didn't go. You know, I'm like, come on, deuce, go win. You know, and I just, and kids are looking at me sometimes like, yeah, okay, I guess we'll try, you know. But, um, but when I speak about the Lord, I don't know, I just get, I get jazzed up. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, uh, I want you to know, though, I'm not the pastor, which uh, is, is kind of good because of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, some of it may be heavy. If you get offended or insulted or, or assaulted by, by heresy, uh, remember that uh, you can still come back next week okay, and hear more. I mean, no, I mean, hear the, the, the real pastors. So it's, and I, I accused Russ who assigned me a little over just a week ago or so. He, he asked, gave me this opportunity, which I greatly appreciate. I kind of accused him of trying to shy away from the scripture. He swore that that was not the reason, you know, to kind of pass it off, a hard scripture on somebody else. He said that wasn't the reason, so we have to trust him on that. Um, but I do appreciate the opportunity. How many of you like when, oh, I got to tell you something else. Um, last summer, I got a chance to speak. Was anybody here? And I limped up, and the whole message was about um, how... Uh, uh, God many times um, gives uh, something in our life that's challenging and uh, to not trust anybody that does not walk with a limp. Does anybody remember that? Um, crazy thing happened. I mean, I'd been six months, I'd been to the chiropractor, the, to the doctor, the, the uh, um, spine uh, surgeon told me I had to have surgery, surgery immediately, but I couldn't because of the fact that I was on blood thinners, because of heart problems and all that. I couldn't do it for a while, so I was waiting, and I was miserable. I was limping. I had sciatic problems. I am healed. I'm totally healed. I was going to come up and show you the challenge in that time was I could not put on my shoes or socks. It was the hardest thing. It was like, whoa, you know, and like, uh, uh, yeah, put on my socks. I can put on my socks right now. I'm not going to do it for you, but I can do it. Amen? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> um, how many of you like weddings? I love weddings. I love weddings, especially when you love the two people and you know the people and you know it's right. Uh, Greg um, is just, when did you get married, Greg? March 31st. He's a newlywed with his, with his bride right here. I knew Greg from high school. Is it awesome being married? Yeah. 
You better say yes. Okay. Good, good answer. Good answer. Weddings are awesome. And we're going to talk about a wedding. Now, I've been, been to lots of weddings. Went to one of my um, nephew a few, uh, 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 well, last Saturday, in fact. Not too long ago. And it was, it was fantastic. I love weddings. Um, and, and I've been, some weddings are kind of like, okay. And kind of some of you are just like, oh, my, this is not what I would do in a wedding. Um, but I've been to a couple weddings. been awesome. The best wedding, the two, two amazing weddings I've been to. And I, I'm sorry to insult any of you who got married who think they had a good wedding. But, but, but the best weddings, there was a couple of weddings that were just way above all the others. And, and um, the, the best one was 28 years ago. You were there. Yeah. My parents were there. 28 years ago, seriously, if I look back at my life, 28 years ago, without a question, was the greatest day of my wife's life. <laughs> it was. And mine, too. And mine, too. It was awesome. But I had another opportunity. Two summers ago, I, right here in this church, my daughter, my only daughter, got married to an awesome guy. And, and it was so, I felt so good about it when he left. You know, when, when they pronounced, you know, your husband and wife and all that, and the music started playing, and they were coming down the aisle, we were, they were, like, going around hugging people. I couldn't hug my, my son-in-law, my new son-in-law. I had to give him, like, this air 10. Like, we jumped up, whoa, like this. It was totally spontaneous. We missed, but <laughs> it was, that's what I felt. I was just rejoicing. And that's part of the reason I dressed up. This was uh, what I wore, you know? Because you're going to go to your, your daughter's wedding, you know, you don't dress like KJ does every day, okay? I've seen KJ dressed up. He can dress sharp. But, but you, dress, you dress up. How many say amen to that? You got to, you know, it'd be weird. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit. Um, now, I have two things um, um, a couple, about weddings, though. One is that when, when I was married, when I got married, the, the, whole mo- the months before that and when my daughter got married, if any of you noticed this, the whole world stops. The whole world stops, and everything's about your wedding. How many can identify with that? And, and that's what it feels like. When your daughter gets married, the whole, the whole world stops. That is the most important thing. It seems like it should be in the world. All the news should stop. All the activities should stop. Everybody should just be preparing for that wedding. Amen? And that's, and that's what it feels like. And I'll tell you, you invite the people that are close to you, the people you, that have been close to you as a family, or close to the bride, or close to the groom, you invite them all. And to be, I'll be honest with you, there was a few people that I, we invited and, and they forgot. Or they, they got busy, or they just were out of town. And, and, and even though they had good reasons, some of them, some of them maybe did not, it was, it was disappointing. I wanted everybody to be there. But it was so awesome to see old friends and family, and you come in, and you're here too. We all get to celebrate this, this momentous event, this glorious event. And, uh, and that's God's heart too that we're going to hear. One other thing. Weddings, I'll tell you. Weddings are huge production. Huge production. And uh, it costs the bride's family a lot. Believe me. Word of advice to you young couples. Don't have too many daughters. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> Rob was wise. Just one. Good. Yeah, my, we had one. Okay, we're done with that, we believe. Okay, we have a scripture we're going to read. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean that. It's just, yeah. <laughs> Diana and I will talk later. Raquel's going to come up and read the scripture. Um, could I, um, why don't we all stand up?
Let's stand up. And when he's, she's reading the word, and then you can find it after you sit down if you want, um, because we're going to be going over it. It's Matthew 22. Matthew, can you hear me? Matthew 22, 1 through 14, a parable that Jesus told. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners. Invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there that was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Go ahead and be seated. I was going to, um, uh, I was wrestling with this uh, section uh, because both, there, there are things in here that are both powerfully exciting and, and there are promises that are beautiful and, and, and wonderful. But there's also some, some hard things. Things that many churches today in our culture don't want to talk about, don't like to talk about. But I believe the, the pastors at this, at this place, in, in this body, are committed to speaking the truth. And one of the challenges I had is realizing where our culture is and where where it's been and perhaps where it's going, that some of the things are not pleasant to us and some of the things we may not even agree with or some of the things we may be challenged with, some of the things we may not understand, and particularly the things of judgment. The judgment both of the, the original people who were judged with, in, that were in, invited and, and refused to come, and there's swift and heavy, powerful judgment destroying a whole city. And then the judgment at the end of this guy that's not wearing the right clothes. Judgment in him. In both cases... They are, they are destroyed or sent out into darkness. And that's sobering for us. And many of those in the, in the modern church, in, in our culture, um, we, we uh, see that as a stomach block. And many uh, leaders in the church today uh, shy away from it. Um, but I want to say I don't believe our, our leaders, our pastors, shy away from that, want to shy away from that. I don't want to shy away from that. And I want to proclaim the good news, but also the sobering news. Because without the sobering news that there is judgment coming, the good news doesn't have the relevance that it would otherwise. There's a time when the, um, when the people of God in this country were moved by the fear of God. We have many cases lost that concept. Many of us read, and when we were in high school perhaps, a sermon 
uh, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards that launched the First Great Awakening in 1741. And many times it's read lampooning this fire and brinsled, wild-eyed, crazy man. In reality, he could not see very well. He was legally blind. And he also spoke very strongly against emotionalism and trying to incite emotion in people. But the Spirit of God was moving in that time in such a way, apparently, that as he read the, the verse, so just word by word, I mean, read his, his sermon, looking very closely, probably by candlelight, people were, were shook with fear and with the realization of the impending doom that was awaiting them if they didn't respond. People literally cried out and grabbed pillars in the, in the building. You heard that? Do we have that today? Do we see that today? You see, ju- um, judgment and, and, and God's justice offends our pluralistic, postmodern Western sensibilities. Yet judgment is an integral part of the, of the gospel. Found throughout the scripture are warnings about the coming judgment, especially in the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says the gate is narrow, that he is the only way. He is the only road. Few find it, and only one seed produces fruit. And actually, I could go on and on and on. And I felt, and I talked to Russ about this, and he agreed. I wanted to establish the, the uh, apologetic of judgment for a little bit. And I would like to go on and on and on. I was tempted to try to you know, make the whole message about that. Because we, we need to understand that, and we need to understand why is that. See, the, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if there is no penalty for our sin, if there's no penalty for our condition, then, then the death of Christ on the cross was a death in vain. It is on the cross that not only we find mercy, but we also find perfect ju- judgment, perfect justice. It's, it's one of the most profound paradoxes in, in the universe. The perfect ju- judgment, perfect justice, and perfect mercy met in one act. Powerful. Tim Keller, in his uh, book, Reason for God, points out an interesting thing, that our culture re- readily accepts the idea of mercy, but has trouble with judgment. But there are many other cultures that rejoice at the judgment. They get that part. But they have difficulty understanding the mercy of God. Could it be that we have been so saturated with the value of mercy that we have lost the concept of holiness, of God's holiness and justice? Have you noticed that um, when you watch movies, you rejoice when justice is served? You ever notice that? I mean, think about this. When the three amigos become hundreds of amigos and drive El Guapo's men off, you rejoice. When Batman finally gets the upper hand of the demonic Joker, you're excited. When the Incredible Hulk whips Loki around like a rag doll. If you just saw that. The, 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 the whole movie theater erupted in applause. You see, when Rocky Balboa rises from the slums of Philadelphia and he takes on Apollo Creed, and he goes a distance, we rejoice. When George McFly finally punches Biff and then kisses Lorraine so that Marty's brother starts to reappear in the photograph, we get excited. Amen? You see, we love justice. We, we have internally, we know that there, we, we long for it, in fact. Of course, not for us. <laughs> but we rejoice when the weak and the innocent have been set free from the oppressive grip of evil. 
even if for a moment, even if it's just a fantasy movie. We rejoice watching these movies because we get a glimpse of the world that is set back in the right order. That's what judgment's about. Perhaps the problem with judgment is that we worry that God is going to judge like we do. But God's judgment is not about petty retribution or punishment for a few bad mistakes. God's judgment is about righting the wrongs, delivering the world from abuse, exploitation, cruelty, bigotry, murder, greed, on and on. There must be a time when the kingdom of heaven reigns. Amen? Say it again. There must be a time when the kingdom of heaven reigns. As Lewis said, hell cannot be, swall- or cannot be allowed to hold heaven hostage. Otherwise, the infection that is on earth continues to corrupt all that's good. But judgment is not just about an abstract concept of bad and, and, and good um, guys, bad guys being judged. There's corruption in me that needs to be redeemed. My nature is its core is selfish and greedy and self-absorbed and proud. And that needs to be redeemed if I am going to join in God's, in God's kingdom for eternity. Perhaps we don't fully realize the sinfulness of our own souls and certainly don't comprehend the holiness of God's kingdom. We're like my students who, by coming a few times to class and answering a few questions on a few assignments, think they should pass. We fail to comprehend the infinite chasm between the depravity of man and the absolute holiness of God. Every time we see somebody in Scripture that has an encounter, a physical encounter with the living God, the response is the same. It's not a casual response. It's not a weak, uh, familial response. It's a response of, of holy terror. Like Isaiah, who fell on his face and says, Woe to me! I'm a man of unclean lips and from a people of unclean lips. Now it's easy to think about that philosophically or theoretically or think about other people. But there are, every one of us has things in our life and if we were to really, really see the effects that we have had in this earth, yes, good effects, yes, loving effects, but if we were to really see how we have affected God's creation, God's people, we would be horrified. There's a, a kid that I went to high school with. His name was Hemmer. Uh, that was his last name, Mike Hemmer. And he was a different kind of guy, he just a different kid, a kid that, that was easy to make fun of, a kid that longed to have friends and longed to fit in and would, would be a pest to kind of annoying. And he um, had a, a, a phrase that he had always say, just to fit in, I guess, he'd just say, all right. And he'd walk around, and, uh, and you'd say, hey, Hemmer, what's up? He said, all right. So we started mocking him. We started saying that all the time. Hey, Hemmer, all right. And then he would, was not aware enough that we were mocking, and he'd say, all right. That was his thing. And I could tell you uh, in depth the story of, of some cruel things that some of my friends said to him. And, and, and yet he was actually on our team, uh, on our cross-country team. He was trying to find a place, and we were good kids. We weren't the, you know, a lot of us were Christians and, and we did a lot of good things and a lot of people respected us. And yet when 
when Mike Hemmer um, would, would try to kind of get into our circle, we'd push him out and said some cruel things. A few years after high school, um, I was talking with some of these guys, and they said, hey, did you hear what happened to Hemmer? I said, no, what? They said, oh, yeah. He said, last, last year, he, they found him in his garage. He hung himself. Who knows what part of that event I am partly responsible for? And who knows the many other people that I've laid out with my words, with my attitude, in addition to things that I have not done to care for, for people that are weak and, and needy and, and so forth, but certainly haven't measured up to God's standard of holiness. How many are glad that that's not the end of the story? So let's look at the scripture. In this, um, if we could project the first part of the verse again. Um, I believe that every one of us can find ourselves in the story. And at the end, when we do communion, we're going to challenge you to uh, see yourself where you are in the story. So the invitation was sent out of this wedding feast. And it says an interesting thing. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited. The implication is they had already been invited once. And then the servants were sent out to confirm that invitation. Apparently they hadn't rejected it because the servants went out to, to those that had been invited. And they refused to come. Now, like I just said, when we invited people, if people couldn't come, they had a good reason. They may have told us. But it would have been insulting to some of our close friends to just say, oh, we're not coming. But the response of the, of the king is interesting. He sent more servants. He gave him another chance. This time the king does something very hum, humbling and very unlike, very unkinglike, is that he, in a sense, was begging by trying to bribe them. Uh, my oxen and fattened cat, cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come. You can hear him pleading, please come. This is the third, perhaps the third invitation. The first invitation was sent out. And then the servants go out the second time. And then the third time again. And he's pleading, please come. We have a king who has every right to expect that everyone comes. We have a wedding feast, in, a royal wedding feast. And the feast then would last for days. Now think about the contrast the greatest feast that these people in this in the story perhaps would ever experience, the greatest opportunity to rub shoulders, the greatest celebration in that in that people uh, in that town or 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 that that state, the greatest opportunity to to rub shoulders with the king and his people to celebrate. What a great opportunity! And they refused it. What an incredible insult! And then he, the second time, or the third time when they come, look what happens. People say that they have different things to do. The first group um, is just indifferent. They just pay no attention. Don't respond at all. The second group say, I have important things to do. The commentator said, sometimes our occupations, legitimate occupations, become our preoccupation. 
How many of us get so absorbed in our occupation, in the things that are legitimate to do? You notice these people weren't off doing evil things. They were doing legitimate things. But they were caught up in those legitimate things so much that they failed to recognize the opportunity they had. And they literally rejected the offer. And then finally, some people were so offended. It's hard to understand why, but perhaps because they were being asked to change their schedule they're being asked to submit to the king that maybe they didn't like, they didn't want to honor. Maybe they're being asked to change their ways. And they became violent and they attacked the servants who had asked. This king has been merciful. He's been gracious. Again and again he's come and he has asked. And there's no evidence that it was that people have earned the right. It was a gracious gift. And they not only just rejected, but finally some of them ended up killing the servants that he sent. I mean, shouldn't the heart of justice cry out and say, enough? Enough. And that's what the king does. And the judgment comes, sends his armies to these people. It destroys them. And the city is even destroyed. And uh, many scholars see that as perhaps a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 A.D., after the rejection of the offer of, of uh, Jesus and, and, and his, um, his arrival on earth and the rejection by the Jews. And so the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. But, but nevertheless, whether, whether that is or not, we see this response of judgment. And then the king isn't done. There's still a wedding feast. There's still the food that he's prepared. And so he's willing... To, to go another step, which is so powerful, so beautiful. He, he goes out and he sends servants and says, okay, those people that maybe had high positions, that were on the council, that were important, important business leaders, whatever people in my, in my court, they didn't want to come. Let's open it up. We're going to invite anybody. Let's go to the marketplace. Let's go to the highways and byways and take the weak and the crippled and the poor. I love it how it even says the good and the bad. There is no qualification to get them in that invitation. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That is the, the, the heart of the gospel. No qualification. No points needed to be earned. No status needed to, to be acquired to get that invitation. It was simply the mercy, the grace of a loving and benevolent king who is looking everywhere. Everywhere. For anyone who would simply choose to come. Simply choose to join him in the feast. They had not done anything. He had done everything. And they come. And they come. In the book of Revelation, and we're going to read, read this later, but in the book of Revelation, there's this great picture that I love of the great throng of multitudes, multitudes from every tribe, every tongue, every people group. The poor, the cast off, the unknown, every tribe. What about the Muslim? Yes. What about those in some far-off country. What about those? Yes. 
There's going to be representatives by the sovereignty of God. There's going to be representatives, it says, from every people. And then he moves to this other sobering thing. Patrick Lord, and I was talking to him about this, and he called this the case of the bad sense of fashion guy. Now you notice I came prepared for the feast today. <laughs> I was prepared because I knew what we were speaking on. But the bad sense of fashion guy, he, uh, sometimes we've struggled with this. How many have kind of struggled with the scripture a little bit? Like you read this and like, hold it. I mean, the guy's there. He responded. He didn't beat the servants up. You know, he didn't go and do his own business. He came. Goodness, he put a good effort forth. He came. But when you think about this, the king has re-invited them to a royal feast. We had a royal wedding in, in England recently, right? Now, I didn't watch it, but, but everybody else did, I know. It was a big deal. If you were invited, not to watch it on TV, you were invited, special invitation, we'll fly you over. We were honoring you to be a part of it. I think you'd get ready. I think you'd dress up. Me agree. You see, it's not a slight thing of, oops, oh, oh, I didn't straighten my tie. It was an absolute rejection of the authority of the propriety of that moment. It's like a guy who's, who's, uh, who's getting married, and he comes, he shows up the wedding late. He's getting married. Shows up the wedding. He's got a two-day growth of beard. He's wearing shorts, flip-flops. Did he wear flip-flops in his wedding? Good, I didn't want to offend you. He's wearing flip-flops. He's got the old T-shirt with beer on it, you know. Maybe he'd spent a little too much time at the bachelor party. Say, hey, what's up? Yeah, hey, let's do it. Everybody in there would be incensed. This guy didn't even have enough respect for his bride and for the guest to look decent, to look like me this morning. <laughs> you know? And so what is this about the, um, these clothes? What, what's this talking about? The king asked politely, he says, good friend. Again, he's still gracious. I felt like, after going over this many times, I felt like, you know what? I need to defend the king. I mean, not, he shouldn't need defense, but I need to take the position of the king and, and, and to plead his case, rather than this guy that did this, or these people that, you know, the king. Oh, my goodness. He says, good friend. He gives them a chance to explain. Now, the guy could have said, I'm sorry, don't, I didn't have anything to wear. Don't you think the king would have said, we'll take care of that? Or he could have said, I was not able to, king, or I, it's beyond my means, or something. And the king would have, I'm sure, responded, but the, the guy said nothing. He was speechless. And what that, to me, indicates that the only reason he would do this, in that culture, you would know that you're going to at least try to dress up and wear the wedding clothes, wear something. This is the king's wedding, folks. And yet he did not respond. And so to me what that shows is that in this guy's heart, he said, yeah, I want to come to the feast, but I'll do it on my terms. I don't want to change. 
I don't want to get out of my old dirty clothes and put on new ones. I don't want to dress up like all these other people. I'm my own man. I'm going to do it my way. That's why the king tossed him out of there. It was not a matter of fashion, but of rebellion and pride. The man showed outright contempt to join the feast, that willingness to change. God calls those into his kingdom who are not only willing to change, and he's calling all of us here not only um, willing to, excuse me, to come to the, to the feast, but to drop everything and join the party. Drop everything. Drop everything in your heart. Everything that you hold naturally of importance. This is a feast. This is the wedding feast. There's nothing that's greater. Drop it now. And he also calls us to be willing to learn the ways of the kingdom. In Colossians 3.2, and there's a number of other scriptures talking about the, uh, the wedding uh, or about the, the change of, uh, of, of clothes as a, as a metaphor. Uh, in Colossians 3.9, it says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of the Creator. Therefore, as God's holy people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. When we come to Christ, God asks us to not only come, but ask us to change your clothes. Amen? To change your clothes. And that's a lifetime, really, a lifetime of receiving God's grace to change. To put on His garments. To learn how to continue to take off. I think we have to do it every day, in a sense. We have to get, yeah, I do it in the morning. I get out of my clothes I was wearing at night. Do you do that? I put on some new clothes that smell better, that look better, okay? Put on some new clothes, to put on new, new things. See, accepting the invitation is not just about showing up. It's about leaving the old ways and joining a new kingdom. This is true salvation. Many of us, I believe, we've been fed in some circles, we've been fed a lie. The lie is that it's just a matter of Reciting the lines. Just a matter of going to church or something. When it's a whole package of entering a kingdom and walking in that kingdom, forsaking the old kingdom and, and, and worshiping and serving a new king. Salvation is not reciting an incantation. It's accepting an invitation and engaging also in a transformation. One has to be wary of claiming one without the other. The scripture continually warns us to examine ourselves to see if we are truly in the faith. 1 Corinthians 10.12 um, 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And I'd say to many of us here, this is a warning. If we think we're standing, be careful that we don't fall. We are going to have communion. And a couple comments before we do that. First of all, if you take your seat, uh, at your seat, if you didn't already see this, there's an invitation to a wedding. 
Now, in case you didn't get the message, you're invited. Is anybody interested in coming? John is. <laughs> okay? And this is awesome wedding. This will blow every wedding you've ever been to away. Wedding feast. Even mine and Diana's. It's going to be even better than this one, than that one. Um, and it says, all are, all are invited. A feast has been prepared. Now, the cool thing is, this feast isn't just for uh, three hours. It's for eternity. With, with people. <laughs> it's going to be such amazing people. With amazing testimonies. People that speak weird languages. People who you wouldn't think have ever would have got in. Isn't that awesome? I love when I hear the heart of the gospel. So we're going to have a communion. And this is a communion like no other. So in a little bit, we're going to have elders up here. You're going to be coming by, and they're going to be, I think, taking some of the, some of the elements, in a sense, some of the items. we got cheese here. we got crackers, grapes. Rob said it was all the food that he likes. And, and literally, I want you to do this because this is to remind you it's a feast. That's why I dressed up this morning, which goes against everything in my body, um, to, because I want to remind you. You may forget five years from now what I said exactly. But, oh, yeah, I remember that, that. You were the, yeah, I dressed. You made me feel really bad because I wasn't dressed right for the feast. <laughs> um, so you're going to come up, and then you're going to um, take some of the elements and, and walk down through this way. We want you to be willing to take some time through this, as we worship. We want you to examine your heart during this. And I want to um, mention a couple things before we do that. Oh, with this invitation. I, we just thought it would be kind of fun to, to do with it what you want, but, but maybe you want to put this as a bookmark. Maybe you want to put this on your mirror. You know, for us, we forget weddings sometimes. You ever done that? It's kind of, you know, you, you don't want to do that. So you put it on the calendar. Now, you could put it on your calendar. The only thing is you'd have to write every single day, wedding feast for the king, wedding feast for the king. Maybe you put this on a mirror, you know? Maybe you put it in the fridge. And it just as a reminder to, to you, oh, yeah, I'm going to the wedding. It's time to celebrate the wedding. Time to put on the clothes, the wedding clothes. And throw off some bitterness Put on some forgiveness. <laughs> Throw off some anger and put on some compassion. <laughs> Throw off some judgment and put on some mercy. Amen? <laughs> Have you read a whole list of things to put on and put off each morning? So that's, that's the idea on that. So I want to give you a final challenge. And, uh, and then we're gonna, um, I'm just going to sit down and, and we're going to let you take your time. So I, I want to give you a challenge to, to different people. Think about where you are in this story. Perhaps you've been of someone that you have been invited. You, you, you've been an important person. You've been invited over and over and over and over and over and over again, but you still haven't been moved in your heart. Maybe you've been moved, but you, you know you haven't responded. Perhaps you're a person who's been too busy 
to work um, with work and responsibilities to respond. I know times in my life I've been like that. Absolutely. Too busy, really, to, to regularly enter the kingdom and respond to the king and honor the king. Perhaps, perhaps you've even been irritated. A guy in our home group last week was talking about this. When you're not walking with God, he said, what? Have you noticed that people that are walking with God kind of irritate you? They get on your nerves? Has anybody ever experienced that? Honestly, I think it's a conviction. And it kind of makes you almost angry at them. I mean, why am I angry at them? There's something demonic that happens, I believe, and we're not walking with God. That's what was probably behind the, the, the servants that, that attacked, I mean, the, um, the, the people that attacked the servants. Perhaps you're um, a person that has come, you've accepted the invitation once, twice, maybe, you know, altar calls 500 times, but really in your heart, you haven't really experienced transformation. Maybe you haven't been willing to take off all of the old stuff. And you say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to receive the grace and get help from other people, whatever, to, to make those changes so I can be um, all in. Perhaps you, you, you honestly are sitting here and you're thinking, I know I'm in. I know I'm celebrating the king. I know sometimes I kind of forget about to put on the wedding clothes. But, but my heart's there. No question. But maybe it's a message to you, a challenge for you to remember that you are part of the king's servants now. You're in his kingdom, and you are called to go out, to join him in the mission of going out to highways and byways and calling all who would come. You want to remind yourself of that. Every day you get up, there's a wedding feast this morning. In the great divorce, C.S. Lewis says... In the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. All that is in hell chooses it. The amazing thing about the gospel is it's our choice. It's God's initiation. God has done all the work. He's done the offer. He's he's died on the cross. He was resurrected. The message is there. And it's ours to choose. God has invited you to join the kingdom, feast for eternity. You did not deserve it. And by his mercy, has pleaded with you again and again to leave your old ways and clothe yourself with the garments of the kingdom. The time is not tomorrow. The time is today. To respond. And tomorrow to respond. Let's respond.